If you've been uh, with us for a few years, you would know that I get to preach on, on two Sundays, either the one after Christmas or the one uh, on New Year's. I was actually meeting a youth pastor friend in Roswell a few weeks ago, and I asked him, hey, are you preaching on December 27th? And he was like, yeah, how did you know that? Did I tell you? And I said, no, the Sunday after Christmas is National Youth Pastors Get to Preach Sunday. So um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, the first time I had the opportunity to preach at New City, uh, so a few years ago, Ryan gave me a, a passage in Acts chapter 1. As I'm reading it, uh, it was Judas killing himself. And now fast forward to today's passage, um, I'm reading it, and the first, like, 30 verses were genealogy. So I'm very excited that the passages are getting um, just easier and easier to preach through. Um, but let me pray for us, and then we can dig into to the scriptures today. Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thank you. Thank you for this morning, God. Um, God, we know this has been a, a long and, and hard year for many people, Father, but would you... Um, just make yourself known, God, and would your glory um, just be made much of today, Father. We thank you um, just for your goodness and for your love, and I um, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as, as I was preparing uh, for this sermon, uh, I had a thought come across my mind, and, and something that we probably don't think about a lot, but I was thinking to myself, how has the Tower of Babel affected my life? Uh, so kind of a weird question, but as I was thinking about it, um, the Tower of Babel has affected my life a lot, and it's affected all of our lives um, just every, every single day. So for example, what I mean by that, not many of you may know this about me, but I was actually born in uh, San Jose, Costa Rica. My parents are South Korean, and I moved to the States when I was six years old. So what that meant for my childhood was for that a short period of my life, I spoke Spanish, I spoke Korean, and I spoke English. I, uh, I really joke about what my kindergarten teacher must have thought when I moved here. You know, this, this little Korean kid from in Roswell, Georgia, that sometimes speaks Spanish. She must have been like, what is going on with, with this kid? Um, but I stopped speaking Spanish when I moved here. Uh, my Korean is very limited, and so I pretty much only speak English. In fourth grade, I made... One of the bigger mistakes of my life, I had the opportunity to pick what foreign language I would speak in, in school, and for some reason, I chose French, and now I don't speak that language either. Um, so, you know, the way the Tower of Babel has affected me, the way the Tower has affected my life, the way it's affected your life is, is through this, is just the different languages that we see in this world, different cultures, different races, different ethnicities is all direct result from what we see um, in the Tower of Babel. So if you're with us two weeks ago, um, Ryan was preaching through Genesis chapter 9, um, specifically through the lineage of, of Noah and his three sons. Um, so verses 18 through 19 in chapter 9 say, uh, says this. It says, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So what we know from these three men is that from Shem, we see the nation of Israel. From Ham, we see the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Syrians, the Babylonians, and the nations. That, these are the nations that really opposed Israel. And from Japheth, uh, we see the, the Gentile nations emerge. So what the scripture says is that from these three men, the whole earth were dispersed. 
So that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10 is often referred to as, as the table of nations. So what we're going to see specifically is how God's plan to be a God for all nations is slowly starting to unveil itself. Genesis 11 is uh, the Tower of Babel is, is a great explanation of how we go from this, this post-flood world um, to, to this diverse world that we see today. This is why we can look around the world and see different languages, different races, different ethnicities, and really see the, this Imago Dei image of God fleshed out in what we see the world today. It, it is also a beautiful reminder that God knows and cares about the nations, that God knows and cares about each people group here on this earth. Um, it's, it's a foreshadowing of God's promise in Philippians 2, where Paul writes, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we're going to see in the Tower of Babel is just how the people missed this part. The people of Babel completely missed this part. See, in their minds, it was that at the name of Jesus, only Babel would bow their knees. It was that only the tongues of Babel would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So kind of the tension of where we are this morning is this, is that we are no different from the people of Babel. You see, we have this, this very micro-level vision, this very small kind of vision of what God's plan for salvation is. It really just kind of encompasses our, our small group of friends, our family, um, just people who are in our inner circle. What we want to do today is kind of zoom out and, and see, you know, what is God's macro-level plan for salvation? And that is a salvation that includes every person, every nation, every tongue on this world. So the big idea today is this is that the flesh brings disunity to our lives, but only the Holy Spirit can bring unity to our lives. So uh, the first point is this, is that the effects of Babel are still prevalent today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Genesis 11, 1 through 4. And it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let, us, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what we can see right off the bat is... Um, in the first four verses, is this false sense of unity. You know, there, there's one common people group, there's one common language, and there's one common goal. And it's, it's in this building, making this, this gigantic city, making this gigantic tower um, of Babel. So what I really want us to do here is, is to key in on, on verse four, and we'll see two phrases um, that really show us the sin of Babel. The first one is this, let us make a name for ourselves. And the second one is, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the first one, uh, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Uh, 
See, this, this city and this tower, it, it's, it's not about glorifying God. It, it's all about glorifying the people of Babel. You know, let's make this gigantic city. Let's make this gigantic tower so everyone can know who we are, so we can make a name for ourselves. And making a name for ourselves is, is a sin that is still really, really prevalent um, today. You know, how does this manifest itself in our lives? So, you know, making a name for ourselves is is almost a way of life, right? It's how we get promoted in our jobs. It's how we get noticed by other people. Um, it's how we apply for, for uh, colleges. It's all about um, ourselves. So let's say you're looking for a new job. What are some of the first things that you might do? Um, you might update your resume. You might update your, your LinkedIn account. And what do you do on there? You, you talk about all your, your achievements, all your accomplishments, all the jobs that you've had before, all the good things that you've done in your life. You know, if you're a senior applying for college, you do a lot of the same things. You, you talk about all the achievements you've done. Look at my GPA. Look at um, all the clubs that I've joined in high school. And what exactly is that doing is, is we're making a name for ourselves, making a, a point that I, I have set apart myself more than these other people. I have made a name for myself that is much bigger than other people. You know, it's all related. We are trying to make a name for ourselves, and it is a very, very easy trap for us to fall into, for us to glorify ourselves and take glory away from God. For many of us, it's it's the way that we've been wired to think in this world, right? That I need to be the very best in this world. It's not a bad thing, but... You know, making a name for ourselves can often bring pride into our lives. Um, it, it can shift praise away from God and shift all the praise back to ourselves. And this is what we see happening uh, with the people of Babel. So uh, the second one, second sin of Babel is this. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the pride of Babel directly contradicts what God has said in previous chapters, and it will continue to contradict God's plan for salvation as the Bible continue, continues to unfold. So what we know is that these people wanted nothing to do with leaving Shinar. They wanted to stay and just be one city and just be somewhere where people can just look at them and not, be, not have to go to other places. So how exactly are they contradicting what God has said? Well, in Genesis 1, we see that God gives us the, the cultural mandate. He says, fill the earth, subdue the earth, rule over the earth. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then six verses later, in Genesis 9, 7, he says, and you, be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply. God's command is to multiply the earth, to go out and multiply. And what they want to do is just stay here. Their biggest fear is to be dispersed over the city. You know, one of the last things we hear Jesus tell us is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And again, what we see is the people in Shinar not wanting to do that. So, I have been in, in student ministry for about six years now, and uh, I've been on many public school campuses, and I, I can tell you where, where you can see some of the most unintentional division in young people today is Monday through Friday um, in a public school cafeteria. Um, 
So I want you to, to take yourself back to high school. Seriously, think about your high school experience and think about why did I sit where I sat? You know, why did I sit at that cafeteria table? Um, you know, when Erica and I were on staff with Crew, um, this is something that we kind of studied and observed um, as, as we were kind of surveying a, a high school cafeteria. And, you know, what we see is that, you know, at one table you would have basketball players, football players, lacrosse players. At another table you would see, um, you know, kids in the chorus, kids in the band, kids in the orchestra. And what we thought was really, really interesting was that in many cases it even broke down racially or ethnically. We would see Hispanic kids and Latino kids sitting in, in one table. We'd see African Americans sitting in another table. The Asian kids sit in one table. So I'm saying all that to say this is that, you know, what does that look like for us as adults? You know, it might not be a high school cafeteria, but we have still set up these different tables all over our lives. Um, what I mean by this is just like Babel, we don't want to be dispersed in this world with people who aren't like us. We don't want to be dispersed in this world with people who don't think the same way that we do. So we have set up these many Babels all over our lives. So I want you to think about this question today is, you know, what is your Tower of Babel? And like I just said, our nature is, is, is to be comfortable, right? Our nature is to, to commune with those that we are most like. So, you know, if you are a Christian in this room, if you are a believer, I want you to think about this, this question, you know, how many non-Christians are you doing life with on a regular basis? You know, how many non-Christians are you actively pursuing in your life? Maybe you've heard of the term a, a holy huddle. And what that, what that means is, you know, this is my small group of, of friends you know, no one's ever going to leave. No one's ever going to enter. This is my group. This is my community. And that's that. You know, it, are you living like that today? You know, I grew up going to, uh, to a Korean church. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a big church. And it was 99.9% Korean, I would say. You know, there, there was one American guy. His name was John Whitaker. That's how, that's how much he, he stood out to us. Everyone knew, hey, that's John Whitaker. Um, but, you know, you look at, uh, look at Sunday mornings, and it is the, uh, the exact same as a high school cafeteria. You know, we have Baptist churches, we have Presbyterian churches, we have Methodist churches. But even there, we have, you know, Korean Baptist churches, we have Chinese Methodist churches, we have African American churches. You know, it, it's the same thing as a high school cafeteria where we have set up this almost division in our lives unintentionally. And th there are so many of these things in our lives. You know, maybe it's a, a certain level of income that you make. You know, maybe you don't want to do life with people that make more money than you, or you don't want to do life with people that make less money than you. Maybe it's your political affiliation where you don't want to do life with, with conservatives, or you don't want to do life with liberals. All that to say that aligning ourselves and only being in community with other Christians, only being in community with, with people of the same race, only being in community with, with conservatives or liberals, you know, fill in the blank. You know, just people that think the same way I do, we are missing out on a core part of gospel truth to think like that. And we are fooling ourselves just like we see in Genesis 11, and we are living in a false sense of unity. See, the gospel has become so much of our own personal wants, 
our own personal needs, our own personal desires, that we have forgotten the call, the mission of what Jesus Christ has called to for our life, and that is to be a unified body of believers. So what is God's response to the people? What is God's response to the, to the building of the tower? Um, so let's pick up again in uh, Genesis 11, verses 5 through 9. And it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So what do we see is, is God's judgment on the people of Babel for their pride. God comes down to, to see this, this amazing city and this amazing tower. I, I love what John Piper has to say about this. Um, he calls the Tower of Babel a, a holy irony. He said, this idea that this tower is supposed to reach heaven, yet they fail so miserably that God has to come down and see it himself. So if we look specifically at verse 6 here, um, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. See, the people of Babel, they were united in their sin. And God deemed that the construction of Babel had to stop. One commentator says verse 6 can be summed up simply by saying this, that the heartbeat of Babel is to rebel against God. This is just the beginning of their sin. This is just the beginning of their rebellion. This is just the beginning of what they will continue to do against God. So what is God's response God comes down and, and confuses their language so that they don't understand each other. And he disperses them over the face of the whole earth. And the, the building of the tower, the building of the city comes to an immediate halt. And God calls it Babel or confusion. So the, the effects of God's response are, is so interesting here. Going back to that holy irony, you know, these people, they want to make this amazing city so that people will notice them. And now they can't even understand each other. They built this amazing city, this amazing tower, so that they can be congregated together. And now they are dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, God's response to the people of Babel is judgment. But here's what we need to remember is that God's judgment is always revealing more and more grace. God stopped the construction of Babel to, to stop the wickedness of the people, to stop the rebellion of these people towards God. Have you ever considered that every language that you hear in this world, that every ethnic group, that every culture group, that every race that you have ever seen in this world is a picture of God's grace in our life? That he stopped the rebellion of Babel and dispersed humanity for our own good, so that we will not continue to sin, that we will not continue to rebel against God, but God dispersed humanity for our own good, so that we would not be as bad 
as we could be. See, we often look at, at God's judgment as punishment. How, how often have you heard people refer to, to the Old Testament and, and just say, you know, God, you know, the Old Testament, God is so, so hateful, so, so vengeful, so, so judgmental to his people. But what we need to realize is that that judgment is always revealing more and more grace to our lives. The story of the garden reveals God's grace to us. The story of the flood reveals God's grace to us. The story of Babel reveals God's grace to us. And all these signs of, of judgment brings us closer and closer to the person of Jesus Christ. So all that to say, this, this, is a, this is a picture of what disunity looks like in the Bible. Let's look at a picture of what unity looks like in the Scriptures. And this is our second point um, today. And it's this, is that the reversal of Babel is at work today. So turn with me to um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And it says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So what, what exactly are we looking at right now? It, it's the day of Pentecost, and we know that about 120 men, including the disciples, they're together uh, just, just waiting patiently, as Jesus has, had told them in Acts 1. And what we know is that they are, um, they're waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 2 through 4, we see this promised Holy Spirit come. And it says that a sound like a mighty rushing wind comes upon them. And the Spirit fills the entire room where the 120 men are sitting. Now, verse 5 is important for us because remember, it, it, it's Pentecost. So this is an important Jewish festival. So Jews from all over have gathered to Jerusalem to celebrate. And what we see happening now is that these 120 men filled with the Holy Spirit are now sharing the gospel, sharing this gospel truth to all these Jews. And they're confused, they're amazed, they're perplexed, they're wondering what is happening. You know, how are these common men sharing the gospel in my own language? The, the, the rest of uh, verses 8 through 13, it, it lists all these different nations, you know, people from the East, People from, from Judea, people from North Asia, people from North Africa, people from, from Rome, they're all listening to this gospel truth in their own language. And what we see happening is that the reversal of Babel has begun through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
In Genesis 11, we see one common language, one common people group, and disunity among the people rooted in their deep sin towards God. And then we fast forward to Acts chapter 2, and we see the complete opposite. We see multiple races, multiple languages, and multiple ethnicities united by the Spirit. What can now be seen as, what can be seen as, as disunity and, and differences in race and language is, is unity through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then as we begin to, to progress more and more through the New Testament, you know, we can trace so much of the gospel truth um, to, to the genealogy in Genesis 10 and, and to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Like Ryan uh, prayed for us this morning in Ephesians 2 and 3, you know, Paul introduces the, this radical idea to us that salvation is not just for this Jewish nation, but it's for everyone. That Gentiles can share in this, in this salvation as well. You know, despite their, their deep hatred towards each other, whatever may have caused that hatred, salvation is for everyone. And we see God's plan unfolding more and more and more. See, at Pentecost, God, God is breaking down cultural, racial, and ethnic division. That was, a, that was a result from the sin of Babel. It doesn't matter if you're a, a Jewish person from the line of Shem. It doesn't matter if you're an Egyptian from the line of Ham. It does not matter if you're a Gentile from the line of Japheth. What matters is that the Spirit is doing a work in your heart and opening your heart to gospel truth. In 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, Paul writes about this, this ministry of, of reconciliation. It says, we have been reconciled to God, and therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You know, through the work of Jesus, God has reconciled our, ourselves to him vertically, and now we are his agents, his ambassadors, to reconcile to the rest of the world horizontally. And I, I love what Crawford Loritz um, has to say about this, about um, reconciling. He says that being reconciled isn't just something that we do. He says being reconciled is something that we are. Because God has reconciled us vertically, we are now reconciled to other people, other nations, other tongues vertically. And he does that through us. We are his ambassadors. We are his agents for this reconciliation. I think if we, if we look back to the year 2020, um, you know, we can see a lot of division and disunity um, in almost anything in the world. If you don't believe me, make a Facebook account or turn on the news and you will just see division in, in anything. Um, it's it's, it's kind of sad to just know where we are in this world. Like Ryan was saying, this world will not put itself back together unless we put the faith in, in Jesus. So our roles as believers, our roles as a church is to be these agents, to be these ambassadors of reconciliation. So my question to us is how can we bring reconciliation to this world if we as a church are so disunified ourselves? So my prayer for us this morning is this, is, is this unity is only found in Jesus. This unity is only found in the Holy Spirit. And it is something that we desperately, desperately need to be praying for. You know, as a, uh, as a Korean-American growing up, um, there was always this, this tension in my life of, of where I belonged ethnically and, and culturally. Um, I think when my brother and I used to fight, one of the jabs he would always 
throw at me was, you know, you're not even Korean, you're Costa Rican. And for whatever reason, that, you know, that would make me like kind of mad and just, just sad. And the reason for that was, you know, it made me feel less than or, or different from the rest of my family. Um, and as I got older, um, this continued just to, to manifest itself in my life. I, I had two very distinct friend groups growing up. I had my American friends and I had my Korean friends. And, you know, this wasn't just like an internal um, kind of pressure, but it was a very verbal pressure from, from these friends. And it's something that I, I've heard many uh, Korean people kind of struggle through. Um, but, you know, if I hung out with my American friends, my Korean friends, they would label me as, uh, as whitewashed, or they would call me an ABC, which is an American-born Chinese. Um, and then my American friends, they would say things like, you're not American, you're just Korean. So I, I was always really confused growing up about who I was. You know, I had Korean people telling me I'm white. I had white people telling me I'm Korean. I had my brother telling me I'm Costa Rican. I was like, who am I? Um, but I just remember, you know, in, in, in 2002, as an 11-year-old kid, I just remember the U.S. was playing Korea in the World Cup, and I felt this weird pull, this weird tension of, like, who do I even cheer for? I feel like if I cheer for Korea, all my American friends would, would be so disappointed in me. If I cheer for the USA, all my Korean friends would, would cheer for me. And this, this continues to manifest itself in my life where, you know, in 2000, I think it was 2016, I was at Taco Mac with friends cheering uh, for the US and the World Cup, and they scored a goal. And I just remember cheering, but in the back of my mind thinking, I wonder if anyone here is confused as to why this, this Asian guy is celebrating for, um, for an American goal. So the, the question that I kind of have to work through and the question that I think many of us have to work through um, in, in our lives is, you know, how, how is Jesus reversing the curse of Babel in my life? So for me, it, it's, a, it's a reminder that diversity, the different ethnicities, the different languages that, you know, are a part of my life, you know, that is a direct demonstration of God's grace in my life. It is evidence of God allowing me to, to trace the different languages that I know back to Genesis 11 and knowing that God's plan for salvation was not just for this Jewish nation, was not just for this Israel nation, but that plan included this Korean kid born in, in San Jose, Costa Rica that struggles with, with ethnic and cultural issues. It, it's a reminder to, to all of us in here that, you know, every language, every people group, every, every nationality that has ever been spoken on this earth or that has ever walked on this earth can point us back to God's grace from Genesis 11. You know, I, I will admit that diversity and, and culture and, and differences of language, it, it can be a, a scary and uncomfortable thing to people. But we know that the call that Jesus has placed on our lives as believers is for all peoples and nations to be united in Christ. So, I, you know, as we close here, I, I want you to go back to this idea of that high school cafeteria. You know, what are those many babbles that you have set up in your life? You know, where are the areas in your life where you do not want to see um, differences in culture, differences in, in ethnicity into your lives? And just to remember what Philippians 2 says when Paul writes that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Church, the gospel of Jesus is not white, is not black, is not yellow, is not blue, is not purple. It's not for the rich. It's not for the poor. It's not for only conservatives. It's not for only liberals. It's not for whatever fill in the blank it may be. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a saving truth for every single person on this earth. So I want to close with this video. Um, and this is a, a video of what I assume Philippians 2 is talking about. And it's a picture of what I believed um, Acts 2 looked like. It's a unified church singing the song of Jesus Christ in one song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What Simba.